You're listening to Pocket Jaces, the podcast where your hosts Kieran, DJ, and Niall explore the overlapping worlds of Magic the Gathering and poker with you one concept at a time. How are you this week? It's bright and sunny morning in, uh, in the Republic of Ireland. I presume it's just as beautiful slightly up north. How are you, how are you guys doing? Yeah, it's fantastic up here. We've only got some grey clouds in the sky. Took the dogs oh, out really? to the play park this morning. Um, they had the time of their lives. I, on the other hand, had an encounter with the owner of said dog play park, who, by and large, is harmless. But uh, mm-hmm. we got a bit into the weeds when he started a, started a conversation about how dogs prefer rainwater to like fresh water from the tap. And that's because oh. there is less fluoride in rainwater than in tap water. Oh. oh no. And then we started talking about chemtrails. And then we started talking about how Bill Gates pays every doctor a hundred pounds for putting COVID on death certificates. So um, Wow, okay. That was uh, my morning, Niall. How have you been? <laughs> Nothing to compare to that. I uh yeah. I've been well. i I was telling the lads there I've been working on my diet and my sleep this week haven't been playing much poker because i went on a downswing so i've been doing a bit of study but the diet and the sleep has been working wonders it's amazing how getting seven hours sleep every night changes your entire reality it's like you, you forget what it's like not to be tired you know yeah it's really true it's like especially in the mornings for work and stuff like that you're like yeah. oh this is great i can just do things and it's not <laughs> yeah exactly it's like you're not struggling to 12 o'clock you know where you can get yeah your second coffee or something you know I'm drinking yeah. way less coffee, so I, I made a decision as well to stop buying, like, myself treats during the day. You know, like, you know when you're working you know, a coffee or a chocolate bar, things like that. Because I was just spending, like, 30 quid a week on nothing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's, just... it's, it's really, really easy to do, especially coffee is, like, is outrageously expensive. Yep. Yeah, we luckily got, like, a nice coffee machine in our, our last work building that I was in. Who knows if I'll ever go back there, but that was actually a big deal. Yeah, it saved, it saved me like 20 quid a week or something like that, just some coffee. So that was free money. That's great. like two entries to the big 11 or something. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How are you anyway, uh, Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. That was uh, very entertained by DJ's story there. I'm like, yeah, it's like it takes all kinds. At least the guy runs a dog park, right? So he's, yeah, yeah. he's given, given something to the world, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I love the, 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 um, the conspiracies about every doctor in the world getting a hundred quid off Bill Gates. It's I like, and it, and it's like somehow they keep that all hushed up. Yep. It? Every e- single doctor goes along with it. Every yeah. every yeah. nurse in the world too is keeping quiet yeah. about uh, all the hospitals uh, being uh, being empty. Um, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they lose their jobs. You know. Yeah, it's just foolproof. Just that's always the thing with these conspiracy theories. Is what I always tell people if they're trying to argue with other people about them or whatever. It's like. Just think about how many people would have to be involved in this for yeah. it to actually be pulled off, you know, and it's 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 usually kind of an insider how ridiculous it is. <laughs> the classic one I always quote was that, that when they talk about, you know, the moon landing, it's like, you know how many hundreds of thousands of people work on that? You know? Yeah. And it's like they can't even the government can't even keep quiet about the president's dick. Never mind the fucking moon. <laughs> you know, you know yeah, I mean? exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's like I've worked in government or in, in the state yeah. apparatus. It's just the ball pit. It's just it's yeah. people trying to get out at four and maybe chat up the girl across the room. That, that, that's what the government is, you know. It's yeah, the same yeah. as everywhere else, you know. Yeah, brilliant. So, uh, yeah, my aunt, no, I've been good. Yeah, pretty quiet week. Uh, just trucking along. I've uh, been playing some Modern on Moto. That's been fun. Since uh, all the bands and stuff, Omnath and all those nonsense decks being gone, 
uh, Mystic Sanctuary, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I'll give, I'll give this format a go. So I've just been playing some Tron, playing some uh, some Magic Online, just getting back into the format. So that's been pretty fun. Had some had some close games. Don't make fun of me for being a Tron player. It's a it's a real deck, even, <laughs> even though the 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 Wizards esports account differs and. Uh, a torrent of abuse, yeah, at, at Tron players during the week. That was yeah, kind of someone dropped the ball on that one, I think. It was so silly. It was like, yeah, they, they made some joke about Tron players, and then, uh, you know, all the woke Magic players jumped on them and were like, how dare you abuse your own player base for expressing <laughs> themselves and play the deck. It's like, oh, come on, dude. Even Tron players should be making these jokes. Yeah, you know? surely it's they're just, making yeah, fun yeah. of the fact that it's a joke. They're making yeah, fun exactly, of the meme. Yeah. You know, they're yeah, not making fun yeah. of you as a player. They're making fun of the fact that it's a meme now. Yeah, but uh, no, it didn't go down well. They had to delete the delete the tweet, all that stuff. So oh classic, classic corporate banter works out successfully again on Twitter, you know, like it always does. Did you hear about the uh, businessman? Who, who, what does he own? I'll find out what he owns and I'll put it in the show notes. Some big company. And he had to um, resign because, or he's a CEO or something, because he put on his um, LinkedIn that they don't hire Catholics, Blacks, or trans people, right? So this, this was, he just did it, put it wrong. It's like, we don't hire Catholic, Blacks, or trans people. We hire people. You know, we hire everyone. You know, we we want you for the quality of who you are, you know, not, not your minority or your demographic, but he just shouldn't have put it that way. You know, no. it was just really bad. And it's just like, it took him a while to understand, you know, went back and forth. And people were like, you need to not say things this way. We get your intentions are good here. But basically what you're saying is that uh, Catholic, black and trans people aren't people. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we don't hire Group X. We hire people. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have to understand that. There's something or a little... that those people are somehow diminished in a way, and you still hire them because that's how great a company. Is. <laughs> yes, exactly. it's, it's a really. There's almost no. There's good no way, way out of it. Good. There's no way out no. of it. But there's yeah. also, I mean, not to get too much in the weeds, but I also hit it. You you see it on the right, and you see it on the cent in the center a little bit as well. This kind of notion that oppression doesn't exist anymore. It's like, oh, I don't see race. I don't see color. Mm. It's like, or yeah. color doesn't matter to me. It's like. Well, I know that you kind of don't arbitrarily dislike the color brown. I, I know that, you know. Yeah. It's deeper than that, you know. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's, it's once people have, once get, people get confronted with this idea that they're privileged, or that they have biases or whatever, yeah. it's, people react really strongly to that, even if it's really hard to have a conversation when people go into defense mode on all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, sorry. For sure. Anyway, yeah, well, that's for the, the politics. The politics the, podcast. Jace's After Dark podcast, yeah. But, uh, yeah, apart from that, I've been playing a bit of Cube online as well. Vintage Cube is back for the for the next while on Magic Online. So I had some really fun matches is, with that. Is it uh, uh, episode one we can plug where we talk about Vintage Cube? I think it is. I think it's the very first episode. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We'll so go back to and listen to that. And it's a very similar cube at this point. They haven't really changed very much, so it all, all should still basically apply. Goldspan Dragon has been added and is a remarkably decent card in the cube. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, very good. You know, true. Vintage Cube is a good place to just be able to make two extra mana every turn, you know what I mean? So so that card has gone off pretty well for me. Had an amazing match where I literally hit my only possible out where my opponent was on one. I resolved a Freyalise, which was the last... I had one card left in my deck to draw, but I think it was a land. Played the Freyalise on an empty board. My opponent plays a Kuldotha Forge Master, and I'm able to untap with zero cards in my deck, 
and use the minus to shatter it and get in with the one one elf for exactties on the on the with zero cards in my deck. It was a beautiful, yeah. beautiful cube moment. You don't get that stuff in any of them yeah, format. So that was brilliant. Uh, but I've been losing terribly. I think I think I've got like two one. I think it's been my best result so far. So yet yet to secure a trophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we're gonna talk uh, other magic news this week. Just before we get into our main topic, which will be tournament satellites, uh, which Niall has some stuff and a review of a book prepared on. But before that, we will keep going. Bit of magic news. We I just realized we hadn't talked about this at all. The uh, the old classic border magic cards being released in the Time Spiral remastered. Uh, product uh, coming out soon or like an out now. I'm not even sure what the release date on it is. Uh, but yeah, just what do you guys think of this? We've talked a little bit about it in the Discord. Uh, I think opinions are, are kind of mixed, but like overall pretty positive. People people really like these kind of like uh, throwback scene cards, like you know, Young Pyromancer and the in the old border is definitely cool. What do you think, now? Yeah, um, all visually looks amazing to me. I love seeing the old border just being a boomer. Um, yeah, paper boomer. Yeah, I really wish it was on Arena. Um, I wish I could oh, play yeah. it. You know, it's it's tough that we don't get to, but I'll probably jam some drafts on on Magic Online. I don't really collect paper magic, so I don't have interest in buying anything or anything like that. But it's good to see, and I'm glad that people get to experience it again. Definitely. Yeah. What about you, DJ? Are you pumped for this? Oh yeah. Uh, so the old borders are uh, superior in every way, and if you disagree. <laughs> Kieran, you are wrong. Um, you are provably wrong, and you should be thrown in the sea. Personally, is what uh, I think. That's fair. I like the blue one. I like the artifact one, but I don't. Oh, the artifact. Are the the artifact one's beautiful. Uh, yeah, the artifact one's really nice. I do agree with uh, white cards being slightly harder to read. I I I, I can absolutely see that. But um, yeah, foil old border cards are just the best thing going. Like yeah, they are pretty nice and. I, and I presume we're not going to see the old foil process on these cards. Uh, that's probably a step too far for them to be able to recreate, but that would have been super sweet if they were able to do that. Oh, well, we, we're not? Okay, I'm, I'm much less I don't excited know. now. I, fi- I didn't figure so. I wouldn't have imagined they even have access to that you know, print technology anymore, you know, but, but yeah, who knows? Well, well, I could be wrong. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, time Spiral, uh, the Time Spiral block draft format was pretty good too. Um, I remember having fond memories of it. Lots of uh, interesting things going on. Um, lots of really cool mechanics for limited as well. Like suspend is great. Yeah. Um, mm. um, it's going to be crazy this time. With, with all these old border cards from different sets, it's going to be even crazier, right? There's just going to be all sorts of mad cards in every draft, you know? Yeah. I thought I thought the time spiral uh, constru- or limited format was a hot mess. <laughs> Actually, um, there was too much going on. I again, I loved it. There was all these references to different. You know, to the folk, to the future, to the past, all this stuff. It was great, but there was all these mechanics that were completely out of place. It's not like a modern magic set where they have a mechanic. They build around it. They have a cycle of commons. They know what they're doing. It was just like whacked on, like like cycling was whacked onto a random card. It was the only card in the set that had it. And you know, wizard cycling, right? Yeah, I mean, Where's but that, but, yeah. but that that was kind of the whole point, right? Going and revisiting all these old mechanics and. Yeah putting all these old mechanics together in ways people wouldn't have thought before, like uh, yeah. cycling and uh, buyback, um, cy- mm. cycling and flashback, um, yeah. that kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah, I, 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 th- I thought it was really interesting. It was for us, but again, we'll go back to this again and again. Uh, for players who don't draft as much, it just seemed like what they they pay really close attention now to making sure that the audience get what they're doing with the mechanic and things like that, 
And I just thought it was all thrown together to say, hey, the, the, the old guys were like this. And we did. <laughs> you know. Also, I, I yeah. uh, big shout out to uh, Sprout Swarm not being in Time Spiral Remastered. Thank fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it is all that I have to say to that. Yeah, that card, that card did make games single-handedly unfun to play. Yeah. Um, and it was a common as well. If you if you never played against Sprout Swarm in Limited, then you have led a blessed life, my child. Count yourself lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think uh, it's kind of going to be interesting. I've never drafted the format, so so I am interested in that. I know like uh, Modern Horizons was supposed to be a sort of time spiral too, right? In terms of the draft format and the complexity and all these different mechanics and stuff like that. So, and I did enjoy Modern Horizons draft. So so yeah, I'm excited to try uh, Time Spiral Remastered. And yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, we'll be able to draft it in, in paper. It's a, it's a really awkward time for this product to come out as a, as a paper focused product. Rough, yeah. Um, and it's like I'm wondering if people are just gonna like grab up boxes and cases of it and sit on them, and it's gonna actually be quite hard to get your hands on. I don't know if there's a, the same supply problems that affected you know Jumpstart, for example, are gonna affect yeah. this product. But hopefully, hopefully, we'll get to draft it. Uh, draft it in paper would be sweet. I would love to get my hands on some old border ponders. That's the one I'm Ooh, most yeah. interested in. Those those are pretty nice. And a foil ponder is already, you know, 30, 40 quid, I think. So these foil ponders are going to be to the absolute moon. I'd say so. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not planning on picking those up. But, uh, yeah, so that's our magic news of the week. Uh, in poker news, we have another little heads-up challenge uh, bit, <laughs> bit of uh, gossip to go through. It's kind of, uh, I don't know, I found it funny and kind of lighthearted, but obviously it is very serious. Um, Doug Poke basically was commentating on the Fetterholtz Limitless Heads Up No Limit match that these these two decided to play. Um, even before the match, he kind of had a little uh, jibe at them and, he, you know, told us on his opinion, as Doug always does, and he basically said that, uh, you know, Limitless is no good at Heads Up, and sure. that Fetter, you know, is a tournament player, he's not even on the map, so he kind of doesn't, he thinks they're both crap, and he doesn't even understand why the match is happening or whatever. So it seemed like he was a little suspicious that it was just being done for publicity or something like that, um, even before the match started. And then he was commentating the first session for Upswing, which again, it's kind of weird, they're one-tabling, they're only playing 1,600 hands total or something like that. It's, it's strange. It's, it does... It does seem just like a bit a bit thrown yeah. together for the sake of you know in the wake of the uh, the Doug Dinegs challenge they're they're trying to get the spotlight a little bit and yeah he was commentating the match and some very very strange things happened and Doug just basically called it out straight away as as being a fix he just said this whole thing is staged this this isn't real poker. He was just getting visibly more angry and frustrated as he commentated more and more hands because you could see both the whole cards from both players on like in the Doug challenge. And uh, he was just like, this is an absolute joke. And eventually he ended the upswing stream early and just refused to keep commentating the match. Right. So very strange. So we had things like, yeah, um, I think it was Fetter with Ace-9 offsuit folding top pair on the turn to a double so, barrel was it, the most It was limitless, most egregious. but yeah. Limitless, sorry, yeah, and it's even stranger that Limitless would do it, right? Like he's he's the more what is what's his game five hundred NL zoom or something? Yeah, I think he plays basically like yeah six yeah. max. So six he's a max he's zoom. a he's a high stakes cash rake who's folding top pair on the turn to double barrel yeah, on a dry yeah, board. It's, yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a dry board too. It's very strange, like, uh, and yeah, there, that was only kind of the icing on the cake. There were like plenty of hands that. I think there was a there was a there was a board that was like Jack Jack three on the flop that I think it was limitless again decided to like check raise with like six seven offsuit with it no was, draw yeah. yep. 
Yeah, and um, and Doug immediately called that out, and he was like, "What is going on here? That has to be one of the worst combos you could use to check raise here." Yeah, and you know, it was just like he was just baffled at how bad the the play mm. was, and he was he was he was very vocal about it. And even after that, he ran through some sims and stuff like that just to to make sure he wasn't talking out of his arse. And he was like, "No, this is you know that ace should have been a pure call on the turn. You know that you should never check raise this combo in GTO and stuff like that." So. It's you know it's 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 a big claim to make, but at the same time, uh, the article I linked did have uh, did have that um, that old Irish apparently saying though I've never heard it from an Irish person never bet on horses that can talk to each other. Right? <laughs> so there, there's always a risk of collusion of with this type and of stuff. Lim- you know? I was saying to DJ earlier, Limitless was drinking about a bottle of wine per session. I mean, fine, but you're playing high yeah. stakes heads up. I think he said that as part of the gimmick or something, didn't he? He was like, "Oh, I'll even play anyone drunk or something." Oh, like I that. see. That w- you're right. Yeah. yeah so yeah. the the story behind yeah. that was he put a tweet out, didn't he, saying, "I'll play anyone and I'll be drunk." You know that type of thing. Yeah. Um, sure. Um, it just isn't the behavior of a high stakes cash crusher. It's no, it's, it's not. Just, it doesn't make sense, no. does it? It's all very fishy. And is one of them a GG pro? Is are either of them a GG Pro or anything like that? Do we know? I'm, no. I'm not sure. Okay. Hand, to be honest, I think they were playing on GG. They were so probably. I mean, yeah. uh, so Doug's opinion was either that it's just straight up rigged, like they've just set it up and they'll transfer each other the money back after, or they've yeah. got in contact with GG. It's like something fishy's happening. They've got in contact with GG, and they've managed to get paid for this or or something like that, yeah. right? Um, which e- neither would surprise me, um, and I wouldn't expect. No, I th- I w- on the other hand, I wouldn't expect Fedor to be any good at heads up, though. MTT specialist. That's true. Like it's, yeah, it's it's more. It's like Limitless is more the the surprising mm. one for these plays that we've seen. I think the latter case is a lot worse. There, if, if GG agreed to this, I think that really actually hurts their reputation as a brand and stuff like that. If if this is what people come away from this thinking, right. so. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of try to do some kind of damage control and and release a statement either way about mm-hmm. it, you know, just to just to kind of put an end to it. Um, I think it's it it just sucks as well because like the the Doug Negreanu challenge was so good yeah. for poker, I think, and was really exciting for people yeah. to follow. And those both of those guys obviously put in so much work, and you know they had they had a ton invested in it. But it was it was very clear you could actually like there was a brilliant storyline. You could tell. You know, Negreanu especially was working so hard to try and up his game from session Absolutely. to session. You know, it was it was it was just fantastic to watch, and I think it was fantastic for the game. So, I really think this could put a damper on these type of challenges and publicity for the game going forward. If this this is now what people think about, you know, it's just the idea that they're just going to be rigged and people are just going to play ridiculously or sure. whatever. Uh, it's it, that would I think that would put a, a big damper on kind of you know the events like these existing going forward. So, uh, hope hopefully we we get some kind of information or closure one way or the mm. other and move on to the next one. I don't know. I think Negranu said he wants to play someone else. So Hopefully. We haven't heard anything from Fedor or Limitless since, have we? Not that I'm aware, no. We can maybe put in the show notes if either of them have tweeted about it yeah. that, that we haven't seen afterwards, but uh, not that I've seen. Anyway, just uh, just some interesting poker news. It's like, I, I, I don't know, these these challenges could, could be a big thing in future, so it's kind of interesting to keep your eye on, I think. And uh, how about... Um... Mini hand of the week involving Doug Polk again. 
this uh mm-hmm. you you saw this oh, right Karen? Yes, the fold of course the yeah, fold yeah. the best the fold most... in history some have called might, it might be the best fold in history yeah this is for anyone who didn't see this this was uh a new episode of high stakes poker came out on uh, on poker go uh at sitting at the table was doug poke the aforementioned and uh the greatest of all time phil helmuth uh, the, the greatest cash game crusher the world has ever seen and uh so i'm not sure the preflop action i didn't watch the the entire hand it was but, uh, um so to, just to get preflop action um helmuth is in early mid position mid position yeah. might be mid position he opens with uh queen 10 offsuit the button who is an amateur calls with pocket deuces perfectly reasonable and then doug in the big blind defense with 10 7 offsuit Yep. So then the flop is uh, <laughs> is Jack nine eight, giving uh, giving Phil Helmut the nut straight and giving Doug the second nut straight. Rainbow so... as well, which I think is relevant. Oh no, no, there were two spades. It, it was two tons. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, it was two tons. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So then, uh, what ends up happening? It goes. It goes bet call. Um. Doug raises and Phil jams. That's exactly uh, what happened. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and Phil jams, I think, for an insane amount, right? It was it was like 125 big blinds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely ridiculously huge jam. <laughs> and uh, Doug is just like already smiling. The clip is so funny. I think we can put it in the show notes, maybe. Yeah. And uh, you could tell he's like got a fold. Even like, he doesn't even think that long about it. I think it takes maybe three, <laughs> two minute, two or three minutes or something like that. He actually thinks, but you could tell he's kind of made up his mind before that. And yeah. uh, he's he just sees how ridiculous it is that he's going to fold the second nuts here. And, uh, and he does fold it. There is some kind of out-of-line table talk from the other people is, at the table, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, but it's a very funny clip to watch. And, yeah, he lays down the second nuts to, to the nut straight. One of the greatest folds ever. <laughs> and in, probably if this was any other player apart from Helmuth making this jam, we would say this is the worst fold ever and you can absolutely never fold here. Yeah. But Phil Helmuth is just a law unto himself. And uh, I, I don't think ever has the capability to do this with anything except the exact actual nuts <laughs> exactly. like i don't i don't think he could ever do this with a set even you know what i mean exactly. so uh it's just one of the one of the the funniest things ever i just about doug's ongoing reputation as as one of the best as a you know? he was yeah. um he doug was on i was watching this stream with him and mike brady doing commentary on the limitless uh, fedor match and mm-hmm. doug was talking about the fold and he was going on like I actually don't think it's that that crazy a fold. I think it's I think it's fold. I think so. It's like the whole chatter screaming. It's like what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> he goes yeah, but his point was once you establish that Phil can't do this with spades or or a set, it's a fold. Yeah, what else? Is but you have to you, know? you have to establish that, and it's. It was very funny. He was going on saying, you know, Phil's raise is one of the worst poker plays he's ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, this is awful. This is awful. And the tweet you put up, Deej, um, was like, how do you make 15 big blinds here, lol? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you, you, flop, <laughs> you flop the nuts against the second nuts, you only make 15 bigs. And, um, yeah, it's, it's funny because poker is a weird game in the respect that the public don't really get to see someone getting owned too often in real time yeah yeah. because the kind of things that make the good players win against the bad players play themselves out over hundreds of thousands of hands and you don't really get to see it um here we got to see in 
in the cold light of day, someone getting absolutely destroyed. And it was very, very funny to see. And it's just always funnier when it's Phil Helmut as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just brilliant. So, yeah, it was just, just a great hand. Um, yeah, very lucky fold, as Doug tweeted, I think, as well about it. <laughs> very lucky. <laughs> so, very you just good. have to love it. And Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see uh, that high-stakes poker show is back. I actually have to watch more of that, because I love that that yeah. format. I just love watching those games. So, I'll, I'll definitely be checking more of that out. Do you, did you uh, recognize any other player at that table, apart from... No. No? All amateurs? No. Okay. I think they must have been, yeah. Especially the way they were talking about that hand. I was like, this is very strange for like yeah. cash game, right? The talk right? was so, pretty draggy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, anyway, yeah, we might have, hopefully have more hands from, from that show soon if there's going to be, it seems like it could be some entertaining stuff. Yep. So we're going to move on to our topic of the week. Uh, we're talking, as I mentioned at the top of the show, about uh, tournament satellites. And uh, Niall is going to be taking the lead on this one because you uh, you have actually done some study, uh, which is which is rare for the three of us. We're so lazy, <laughs> but uh, you've read uh, you've read a book about uh, about tournament satellite strategy, yeah. uh, and you've come away some away with some uh, some golden nuggets, some tidbits for us. All right, cool. So we kind of decided to get onto this because Kieran, you and I have been playing some satellites for the Irish Open, and I decided to read Dara O'Kearney's book. Um, Dara Kearney, O'Kearney is an Irish satellite specialist, basically, um, and he's written a book on satellite strategy. Um, I did skim it, and to give broad strokes about how I like the book, it, it is good. It is a good book. Um, mm-hmm. Now, with all poker books, it's if you think about it, you're not going to get the secrets to a lifetime of poker from a 30-quid book, really, are you? But yeah. I find value in it. And, you know, it, I would recommend it to any, any player, any new player that, you know, if you're the big, world's biggest crusher, you're not going to get anything out of this. But mm-hmm. I think players at our level, it, it's, it's worth, you know, paying a tenner for an ebook or something. It's, it was fine. Definitely. I think as well, it's like, this is actually quite a unique area to talk about. Mm-hmm. There's not many other, not much uh, poker content books or otherwise out there that really talks about satellites that much. It's, I feel like it's kind of an underexplored area or maybe not underexplored, but just, yeah, it's it's just not the biggest area, but it's actually one of probably the most profitable uh, things you can play if you're good at them, right? right? And if you're willing to kind of go into this long-term satellite strategy. Like if you think about if we were back and, and we could play play in casinos or play like weekly pub leagues a lot of those games are like extremely soft satellites and uh leagues and stuff like that yep. with kind of big ticket events as the prizes right so knowing your particular strategy for satellites is is actually like in its own way like a i think a very very useful thing to know Absolutely. and it's something you're not going to get out of most other books right yeah so i like this topic 100 percent. um so we'll maybe start off with um, why, why would you want to play satellites? This is something Dara covers in the book. So I was going to give a book review. So basically we were going to do a topic on satellite strategy. And I think it was maybe a miss not for, to not read read the book on it. And basically anything yeah. we give you is going to be in Dara's book anyway. So, you know, it, it makes sense to to kind of run through how he, he explains it. Um, mm. So the... Kieran uh, uh, touched on a couple of points there why to play satellites obviously we get to play a big target event with you know a small buy-in obviously as amateur players this is one of our only ways to make something like life-changing money especially in live poker um and one they're very very soft as you mentioned very unexplored in the teaching realm 
And uh, one of the big secrets about um, satellites is they miss their guarantees a ton. So there's a ton of dead money out there. Um, if you just scroll through, let's say you're playing a, um, a Sunday on Poker Stars. One, one tip I can give is let's say you are going to play the Sunday Storm and it's four or five o'clock and you've got a, you've got some table space. Scroll through the lobby. You might see a satellite for the Sunday Storm, which is missing a guarantee and playing a satellite for a tournament you're going to play anyway is a huge way to turn a Sunday that's going to lose you a couple of hundred dollars into a Sunday that only loses you half that amount or some, something like that, you know. So one, one of the things that is kind of bad about satellites is that you need a big bankroll to play them. Because if you think about it, let's say you want to play a hundred dollar event. Well, you're going to need 10K in your bankroll or so to do that, right? Mm -hmm. But let's say that we want to play a $10 satellite to that event. Well, using the 100 buy-in rule, we would say, oh, you could do that with a grand. But really what needs to happen is you need to convert that first ticket into the main event ticket. Then you need to convert the main event ticket into a cash. So really, you still need the 10 grand in your roll to play the, the you know, yeah. technically. It's, you're really... Like, even though you're playing these cheaper events, as you say, you're really delaying the re realization of exactly. turning your your equity there into, into actual money, right? It's, it's yeah, it's really down the road. And yeah, as yeah, as you say, it's, it's going to it's gonna hit you. Variance is going to hit you harder there with, with a smaller bank. Absolutely. Right? So a hack basically is to play the satellites for the events you're already going to play. And that way you just give yourself a discount. You're, if I'm going to register Sunday Storm anyway, why not play a $2 satellite for it and save myself eight bucks or nine bucks, right? That's And that way we actually get to turn satellites into something that protects our bottom line rather than something that absolutely kills it. Because I'll tell you guys, I've lost bankrolls on, on satellites. If you look through my poker tracker, mm -hmm. you can see these big downswings, which are all just satellite entries. And like you'll see, gotcha. you'll see a little yeah. spike where I won a ticket. And then you'll not see the spike go up anymore because I haven't cashed you with cash. It, you know. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Cool. DJ, how do you feel about uh, about satellites? Um, I've played I've played a fair few in my time. I mm. think they are generally a really good way to get into these uh, bigger events, which is exactly their purpose. So, um, they are doing that right. Um, I it it's not something I overly um focus on either um but you know i'll i'll maybe take a punt every now and again just so that i can potentially play a 109 um my strategy in these events not great um i the, oh, it's the proof after today oh yeah we're gonna teach you all about it yeah. the satellites i generally like to play are like the winner take all hyper turbo type satellites um because i think a lot of people's short stack play is atrocious um Very so i think i have an edge there regardless um and these are two table tournaments four people at each table uh winner winner of each table um meets on the final table and you play one mat one more four man table and usually it's top two get a ticket from that one and everybody starts with 10 big blinds um yeah like, i i play those too and it, i play those it, for, it, for yeah. events i'm going to play like this the sunday the mini sunday million i'll just in the afternoon play four or five of those feeders basically instead of my yeah yeah 
it's yep, it, it, yeah. it's a little degenerate but um people people are so bad like um yeah. you know they're going to be calling way too tight and not shoving as, as wide. half as wide as they should be so yeah uh, so it's just free money if they're doing that and what would you guys say that turns your average say the mini milli is, is 22 dollars, right what would you guys say that uh that turns your average ticket price entry into playing uh, qualifying via these two dollars um, i think yeah it's, it's tough to say i think it would be i wouldn't be surprised if it was somewhere in the uh 15 to 20 dollar range there yeah. you go. So it's a decent discount, right? It's it's like we're not saying this is magic. We're not saying we're going to teach you to like enter ten dollar events and consistently get entries to to one k's or five hundred dollar tournaments. You know that's not going to happen. But if you just think of it as as Niall said, as uh, if you have the time and you have the table space to play these events, they're just going to give you a decent discount on your normal tournament entries anyway, right? That's a it's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Cool. So, um. Before we before we get into the strategy of this book, I wanted to give you guys a little background on Dara O'Kearney. He's a very interesting character. Dara is a Irish player and he's a Unibet ambassador, I believe. He used to be, I heard this on a podcast and I, I put the Wikipedia link up. He used to be a tennis pro. And ten, wow. tennis is one of those games where it, it seems to be that you can make a living through all ranks of the game, not just at the very, very top, right? A little bit like snooker, like the lot of professional snooker players you'd never hear of, basically. He got an injury in his late 20s, which is around the time where he was kind of winding down his career anyway, and he took up poker only, like, in his mid-30s. And he's now in wow, his mid, mid to late 40s, and he's at this stage of the game, which is really impressive. But another impressive thing about him is he decided to take up marathon running in his early 30s. Never oh, never ran a marathon, just decided to take it up. And um, went to New York one year. He'd be running marathons for a couple of years just on his own. And he said, I think I'll, I'll run the New York marathon. Obviously one of the biggest events on the schedule. Yeah. And came second in the New York marathon. <laughs> and then... That's absolutely outrageous. Insane. What? And he took up ultra marathon running, you know, like the ones where you do like two marathons in a row. <laughs> yeah. And he won the New York um, 60K, the 60 kilometers in 2006. He won it. It's pretty incredible. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. The guy, obviously, I mean, obviously just very talented athletically, but it also shows like his commitment and uh, yeah. kind of mental game, right? That he's able to just go go hard at something and just take it with the, all these different... Uh, these different fields just take it to the top level that's incredible amazing yeah just a very special human one of these people who just has this laser focus on you know their task at hand yeah. and you know is able to win but we'll, we'll go into satellite strategy sure um so uh, i wanted to start with kind of some some general theory and then we'll boil it down to some specific takeaways that we can hopefully hopefully give the audience so the core uh, i'll bring you guys on in on this one the core um of of difference between satellites and normal MTTs is that we have a flat payout structure. So in normal MTT, obviously there's a scaling payout structure as we go through the tournament. And in a satellite, a set number of people get a seat and the rest don't. So what this does is it means that survival when it comes to the bubble is paramount. Chip accumulation at some point in the game no longer becomes a thing. Um, how do you guys um, 
Hmm. What, what question will I ask? You have recent experience of this, Kieran. Um, maybe I, d- I didn't want to drag a bad beat up for you, but um, do you want to talk oh, no about worries. your experience with? All, they're all I have, Niall. They're all I have. <laughs> all right, so okay. Do you want to bring up um, your experience with your Irish Open satellite last week, for example? Yeah, this was interesting. So I qualified for the final phase of the Irish Open qualifier with starting off the tournament with like 200 big blinds or something like that. So just uh, like uh, top 10 and chips, you know, in the qualifier, I think there was 300 players, 310 players Mm -hmm. and top 10% get a ticket. So you have to make it to the top 30, I think 30-ish. Um, yeah, it was the top, the top 30. Uh, and we were crushing the whole tournament, basically. Just, like, just cruising along, just, like, consistently in the top three, top five uh, in chip stack. And we got down to about um, 90 players left or something mm-hmm. like that, I think. And I was in, like, second place in chips. And I kind of thought, okay, we must be able to lock it up here. I had, like, I had, like, 90 big blinds at this point, like, two hours into the tournament. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculously deep. And... I kind of thought, okay, and, and I was talking to, this, to you about this as well. It was like, okay, it seems like we should be able to start locking it up here. Um, and I did so, and it looked like comfortable for quite a long time. And then DJ witnessed this this part of it. It was just craziness. Like the big stack, the other big stacks in the tournament weren't doing the same thing. They were just like donating chips around the rest of the field, uh, just evening out the stacks constantly. Yeah. And I just felt like people were not getting knocked out of the tournament at all at the rate they should have been people were not putting any pressure on the small stacks even when they had an enormous stack you know uh it was just sort of like it was just like worst case scenario for me so i went from like second with 60 people left to like 25th with 40 people left yeah right so i was 25th with 40 people left 30 pay and i'm like okay i gotta start playing hands uh so then the very first hand i played after folding out basically everything from from 90 big blinds down uh, I woke up on the cutoff with King Jack suited. I was like, okay, this is open this to a shove yep. for 15 bigs. This is a standard. And the small blind who was the chip leader in the tournament woke up with Ace King suited and just snapped me off and knocked me out of the tournament. So nightmare, yeah. absolute nightmare. So went from thinking I was absolutely basically guaranteed from halfway through the tournament to make it in to obviously just making some very large error with like deciding when I should be locking it up and okay. trying to fold out into the money. Uh, I think not realizing just how soft this particular satellite was. Like, I know satellites are soft, but this one in particular, I think, was just especially soft and people's strategy was just terrible with the big stacks. They were, As I said, they were just throwing chips around. Yeah. People just weren't getting knocked out. So, yeah, really felt like, okay, well, I, after I uh, messed that up, you know, it was... I probably still would have had to win a flip or something at some point. Okay. Or not a flip, but, you know, maybe I would have had to play a few pots, right? Yeah. And, 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 or and have something a little bit go more. your way, maybe. Um, exactly, yeah. But it obviously wasn't locked up like I thought it was. So that was a heartbreaker, yeah, yeah. Uh, from just going to being sure you're an absolutely sure thing and you're going to fold into the money to, to being like, oh, shit, I've made a huge mistake and basically thrown away a lot of good opportunities that probably were the hands that actually were the guarantee to get okay. into the money right like okay. folded like folded like uh like ace king under the gun uh sure. like at some point you know and stuff like that yeah sure. so pretty pretty tough um and yeah so this is now i'm, I'm playing another one tonight so I'm, I'm only going in with 30 big blinds this time so i'm gonna have to do a lot more fighting but that definitely was my lesson from last week was like the the like you can only lock it up a lot later than you think you can in, in this particular satellite. That's it. So so what we're going to do is 
well, for the record, Kieran, I thought I thought you got obscenely unlucky there. I think that was a, a perfect storm for that to happen to you, honestly. Mm. I, I don't yeah. think yeah. there was any one single big error that you've made there. Um, yeah. But in case people are making the error, we've got a couple of things that Dara put, put forward in the book. So a couple of things we want to think about. So the first thing is the the acronym he came up with was Average Cash Stack, or ACS. What we want to do is once late registration has ended, we look at the lobby, we count how many people are in the tournament, and we count the number of chips that are in the tournament. And we take the number of chips that are in the tournament, and we divide that by the number of people who get a seat. Right? So Mm -hmm. let's say we have um, a million chips in the tournament, 30 players are going to make a seat. We divide the million by the 30, and that's the average stack that a player is going to have on the bubble. Right. Okay. Yeah. Makes and sense. this is going to be our target stack. That's what we're tar- That's our target. Right. Dara thinks that if we get around seventy percent of the target, we're usually okay. So. Gotcha. Okay. So that's a nice little kind of barometer of where we are in the tournament. You know, and you'll notice mm-hmm. that in the, these uh, qualifiers to the Irish Open satellites, that you think you've got a big stack, but if you do the maths, you actually have to double up a couple more times to to yep. make the yep. to make the stack you need to make. And then he says that a good rule of thumb for when to lock it up is that if you are within the bubble, like if you're in the top 30 players, for example, then if there are more people outside the bubble than between you and the stone bubble, you can actually just fold to the money. Yeah, and that is kind of intuitive as well, yeah. right? I think a lot of people would maybe not know that that's true but like that would be in and around kind of what your what your educated guess would be about about when you can start folding yeah absolutely that makes sense to me absolutely yeah. so and you stumbled upon it kieran and again we kind of intuitively know this is a thing about satellites is that icm comes into play way way earlier than you naturally think um yeah in normal tournaments we really only think about icm close to the stone bubble and then close to final table bubbles and on final tables but in um, in satellites, we're pretty much thinking about it as soon as late reg ends. You know, as soon as yeah. late reg ends, we're, we're now in chip conservation mode. And the, the, what we need to do here is essentially just play tighter um, and play more conservatively. We really need to avoid flips because flips are a complete disaster in satellites. Um, yeah. To give uh, an example from an MTT. So we were talking a couple of weeks ago about flips not being bad. Let's say you have um, pocket tens on the button and you've got 30 big blinds and middle position raises and you re-raise with, with your pocket tens and they put you in. In a, in a normal tournament, that's a snap call with your pocket tens. You need, you need to call mm-hmm. that. You need to put your 30 big blinds in. And the reason yep. for that is that we are really concerned in tournaments not to throw away our equity. Like yep. if our opponent has ace-king there, this is actually a really good spot for us. We want to be in this spot because there's dead money in the pot and we get to play a coin flip. Yeah, just just with the exactly, just with the pot odds alone, we just can't can't overfold. Exactly. In fact, we actively want this spot. Right. Yeah. So but in a in a satellite, however, it's a complete disaster. We need to avoid those all in coin flip confrontations at all where possible. And this leads to a set of strategies that we deploy that are a little different from MTTs. So examples mm. would be um, that we want to lower variance by flatting three bets a lot more than we're four betting or getting it in. So for example, let's say pocket queens on the button, you raise with 30 big blinds are 
Um, well, let's give us more. Let's give us 50 big blinds. We raise with 50 big blinds on the bottom of pocket queens. The big blind re-raises. In a satellite, you often just want to call there and see a flop rather yep. than get your 50 big blinds in against what may be at best a coin flip, really, even though you've got the third best hand in the game. And what it actually looks like, especially post-flop, is kind of poker from 10 years ago where people are kind of, you know, trying to lock up equity. They're trying to make their opponents fold. Yeah. You know, they're not looking to play coin flips. We know in modern MTT poker that's wrong. But in satellites, it looks much more like that old style of Harrington poker, if that makes yeah. sense. Unlike, so, for example, there on like on like King 9-3 or something like that, and you have pocket queens there, you're probably happier to like check it down more often than you're trying to value bet one street. Or yeah, try to get like thin that, value yeah. or something. And yeah. then the converse is also true when you have a good hand. You're much more likely to bet and just try to lock up the equity that's in the pot right now yeah so it's 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 really important to not trap (laughs) in satellites and just lock up the equity that's in the pot as dara says your fold equity in in satellites is the biggest form of equity that you actually have you you really need to deploy this fold equity um liberally so an example that he um gave which i find myself making this mistake all the time is that you don't want to induce in satellites, so for example, let's say you have pocket kings and you've got 15 big blinds and you're in middle position. In a normal MTT, what we're doing there is we're just raising two big blinds or something and hoping someone comes over the top. Yeah. Dara points out this is actually ICM suicide. And what we need to be doing with our kings there is just putting our 15 big blinds in, maximizing our fold equity. Sure, we hope for a call because we've got pocket kings, but we protect our entire range by just put it, putting in the kings there. And making sure yep. we're we're leveraging the most fold equity out of our entire range by just putting the kings in there, basically. Yeah, makes t- makes sense. That's something I probably wasn't doing, mm-hmm. so I was probably misplaying quite badly in those spots in, in in that qualifier last week. So that's actually very interesting to hear. Yeah, I'm gonna have to gonna have to think about that one for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. it's it's in, DJ and I had like a when we were getting into tournament poker a couple of years ago, we had like a push fold chart push fold chart for under twenty big blinds. And our strategy is a little more nuanced now. But what we did back then was look at the chart. Is it a push? Yes, I push. Even though it was like 19 big blinds with pocket aces. Yeah, push it in. It's profitable. It's much more like that in satellites. That's what you want to be doing. It's just literally following the chart and making sure you generate as many folds as you possibly can. Because that's what chips you up, basically. It's what chips you up, and I think population is probably majorly overfolding in those scenarios to you as well, right? So it's probably that doesn't mean you should play looser, right? You should you should still be playing tighter, as you said, because you don't want to end up in these in these flip spots. You don't you you much prefer to take the fold equity, yep. but it makes it more attractive to even do that because people are are just protecting their stack and folding more than they should be there. They don't want to take those chances either. So exactly, and um, and then the converse is also true. One big stumbling block people have in satellites is calling too wide you need to be really tight when you're calling an all-in and risking chips it's as a general rule in poker it's much more profitable to be the player shoving and putting your opponent to the test than it is to be the player who's calling off so as you say kieran often you're going to just fold ace ace king to shove or ace queen or something because you know crippling yourself for what is going to be a 60 percenter or something at best it just isn't worth it in a satellite you know yeah and then of course that the obvious kind of run on from that is that we want to be bullying the shorter stacks and something that maybe wasn't happening in the tournament last week 
was the big stacks need to do their job and their job is to pick on the medium and small stacks and just yeah, print exactly, money, yeah. you know? Yeah, and it's, uh, I think, I don't know if this is a way to think about it, but it kind of makes sense to me. Is like, as you said, in those 60% situations where you have a, have the ace-king or whatever, right? If you're playing a normal MTT and you double up there, that, like, your goal is to, like, they're like the the top goal or whatever the most attractive goal is to like win the tournament yeah. end up number one out of the entire field and like doubling up there goes away towards doing that but like it's not that hard compared to make number one to just bubble or to, to just cash which is all you need to do with these satellites right so it's like it's just, it just makes less sense to take those spots when you don't you know what i mean there's no like coming like ending up first in chips or 30th in chips it's there's no difference right exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so just a couple of little, before we kind of move off the the topic or or, or move on, um, a couple of little tips was that um, if you're between, we talked about when we're very safe when we locked it up, and then obviously when you've uh, you haven't locked it up yet, you're just in chip accumulation mode. You need to accumulate chips. That's all you need to do. If you're somewhere between those two, um, a tip Dara had, which is what we all do, is scan the lobby. You keep your eye on the lobby. Keep your eye on the other tables see what the other stacks are doing. If you've only two or three tables left, open those tables, look at the short stacks, look at the big stacks, how are they playing? Are these short stacks trying to lock it up? You know, who, who's trying to lock it up? Who's taking risks? Is there someone ICM punting it? If someone's going yeah. mental on the other table, we can maybe lock it up here, you know, yeah. Yeah. Shorter, uh, you know, sooner than we can. And something that you we should be doing in tournaments anyway is, and it's, it sounds a little scummy, but slow playing when it comes to the bubble. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 I'm happy to say it. I was max tanking every hand yeah. from the time I locked it up. You know what I mean? I had such a deep stack. I was like, yeah, blinds going up. Uh, you know, with as few hands as possible played is just brilliant for me here. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just the way you got to do it. So right? to ex- explain maybe to the audience, um, this is kind of universal in tournament poker anyway, and is kind of a plague on live tournaments, but. Technically, in a tournament, you should be max tanking when it comes to the bubble every time. Technically. Now, the reason we don't do it in tournaments online is because the tournaments are so big that the what we get from max tanking isn't worth the loss equity of the chips we could be making by playing the game, basically. Yeah. But if you were in like a two play a two table tournament, it's massive. Let's say that you yeah. and DJ were on one table and I'm on the other table. And we know that nine players are going to make the final table and nine aren't. Well, if my table plays at a normal speed and plays, let's say, 30 hands an hour live, and you guys just tank and play 10 hands in the next hour, you guys all make money. Yeah. That, that's basically yeah. it. you know, And that's kind of a they plague just... on, on live poker, sadly. It is. Uh, not something we got to worry about for the first no, table. Sure. Future, but, <laughs> yeah. But... Um... It is true, and yeah, it is something you should be doing, especially when you're shorter stacked, yeah, um, close to the bubble online. But um, it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, no one else was doing that in the in the qualifier last week. I was literally, I think, the only player with about four or five tables left doing it, and I was like, "This is insane! Like yeah. this, I have to get in." And I still didn't. So as you say, I think it was just a very long. And spot. by the way, guys, if you're ever in that spot, Kieran's in. Do not say to the other players at the table that you you intend to slow play because that is illegal. That's collusion. Yeah, and you're not allowed to yeah. do that. We're we're all allowed yeah. to nudge and wink and slow play, but we're not allowed to say let's slow play, guys. Yeah. <laughs> That is just collusion. That's just collusion. Right? So, yeah. 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 Um, so. Another interesting... No, I was so just... Good. I was thinking about my hands, you know? I was just taking a reasonable amount of time per, per action. <laughs> that's, you know? that, that's it. 
I won Juicy one where I was in the big blind, but they, uh, the small blind just completed it. I was like, oh, now I get another action where I can max time. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a trick, a couple of tricks we had from um, MTTs on the internet was we can abuse the time bank where in like bubble spots, like you can, if you've got 15 big blinds, you can put 14 big blinds in, use all your yeah. tank, put the 14 big blinds in. It, it falls around to someone else. They put you in, you use your tank again, and then you put your last big blind in, and then you get double the time. And in that time, someone else might bubble, basically. Yeah. So that's that's a trick. Yeah. Um, another interesting topic he brought up was to late reg versus not late reg. Um, in satellites, it's actually really profitable to late reg. And the reason why is because you get yourself closer to the bubble. Mm-hmm. In situations where you're going to have to win a coin flip or two anyway in the tournament, you might get yourself into a spot where you're you're late regging, you have to win a coin flip, and then you almost get to lock it up, basically. You almost get to lock it now, up. Yeah. It's a di- it's a bit different in the ones we're playing because they're so soft. So yeah. if there's if you're crushing it in the early game, then just register early and crush it. But if you're yeah. playing against the world's biggest crushers, then it's a really good idea to late, late reg and just try to double up and hold it, basically. Yeah. An interesting one for the ones that we were playing, the Irish Open qualifiers, was that because you go through, it was like top 10% of the field goes through to the, the final phase, mm-hmm. right? But that means that um, the number of players in that second to last phase qualifier determines how many chips you can go into the final with. Right. So the first one I qualified for was a huge one on like a Wednesday evening or something. That's how I ended with, with 200 big blinds. Okay. The one I registered for... Uh, that uh, for this week was like earlier in the day and I think they only got like the minimum they only had like 11 people in the tournament or something right so okay. even though I, I ended up third place but I'm only going in with 28 big blinds got because it. it was just the, it was 10 times smaller of a tournament right so that's kind of interesting and obviously it's like it's easier to qualify for the final phase of that satellite by doing that but it's like do I have enough of an edge over the population that I'd actually prefer to play the bigger tournament and just get into the final phase with a bigger stack hmm. probably Interesting. You know, what do you, so bring DJ in. What, what do you think about this? Would you rather play a small tournament and qualify or a big tournament and qualify with a big number of chips? Um, I'm not 100% sure I understand the... Uh, the structure position here. Yeah. Um, oh, so the way it works, the way it works is right. is like, it's like a 10 euro qualifier. Top 10% of the field gets into the, uh, into the final. But, um, or sorry, ten, I think it was, uh, is it 10 players or top 10%? I think it was, sorry, it was the 10 players, I think. So, sorry, yeah, that's that's how you end up with a bigger stack, right? Because it's, uh, it's, a, it's a static number of players. Yeah. So if you have 10 people in the in the 10-year qualifier, let's say there's only 100,000 chips in the tournament total, that's all you can go into the final phase with. But if there's 100 players, then there's a million chips in the tournament that you can, that'll be... So you're playing for, with bigger stacks uh as right. uh, when when you lock it up right. so and that's the actual chip count that you go into the final with it's not like percentage based it's it's actual just number of chips okay yeah um, so when i qualified from the big tournament i had 10 times the amount of chips going into the the final phase of the satellite yeah that is an interesting one um i suspect that i would probably prefer to just qualify from the smaller tournament actually Okay. Um, because I think just having more of a chance to get to the big tournament in the first place is uh, better than kind of, yeah, yeah the lower chance from the big tournament. So 
Um, yeah, I think my first instinct would be qualify from the smaller tournaments with a below average stack and then just try and run it up. But yeah. um, if yeah. you do manage to qualify from said uh, bigger tournament, then you are obviously giving yourself a way bigger edge. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, it's um, I think that's I think that's yeah. my uh, first instinct anyway. That, that's kind of what I did, like because I qualified early in the week for for this one with the twenty eight big blinds, and I I just I was like I could play I could could keep playing them and try to get in with a bigger stack, but I was like that just seems like punting away money, sure. you know. Like once I've qualified, I've qualified, you know. I'll just I'll just win some flips. It's fine. It's um it's one of those things about tournaments is that having a big stack at the start isn't that big a deal. It's yeah. having a big stack when it comes up to the bubble and when it comes up to the final table, that's when you want to have a big stack. The dif- difference between 30 big blinds and 60 big blinds at the start of the tournament, it's marginal. It really is. It yeah, doesn't really, it really matter is. too it much, really is. you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else do we have? Do we have anything else on tips? Oh, just a small Oh, I wanted, I wanted to mention, uh, I did just because we were talking about late regging, I just wanted to mention that also goes in right with the fact that you said earlier that a lot of tournaments don't hit their guarantees. Yeah. Uh, so you can actually look. Uh, you can actually look at the number of players and whether on late reg they have hit their guarantee or they're anywhere close. And it's a lot more attractive for you to late reg if they haven't, right? Exactly right. If they haven't uh, hit the guarantee, yeah. yeah. That, that's a huge. So point. yep, just wanted to get that in. Huge yeah. point. And just just a final tip tip bit. Um, you should be defending your big blind way tighter than you think, right? Um, in uh, this is tough for us as MPT players because every bit of study we do basically says. Defend your big blind more. Defend your big blind more. Do it more. Yeah. Do it more. You've got Jack D suited. Defend. You've got seven five also. Defend, because you yeah. really don't need that much equity to defend. In a satellite, this becomes precarious because we have to not only just play tighter as a rule, but our opponents can put us in like these dead or not dead spots later in the hand. Basically, yeah. you're going to have to full top pair on turns a ton in satellites. And that means you're throwing equity equity away, like chip equity away. You're not throwing money equity away. You're throwing chip equity away. And this means that we need to just fold big blinds more, um, especially when we're like 30 big blinds or under. We just need to be really careful. And I think a good rule of thumb is just to, if you're not sure, just fold it. You, you'll be fine. You know, whereas yep. in true MTTs, if you're not sure, you should probably just be defending and hope for the best, you know. Pretty much, it's not, yeah, it can't be that it bad, right? That's the thing, but yeah. yeah. Whereas, yeah, I think this is a really good point. And this kind of, for me, ties in, this is like the op- the other side of the coin to what we said about the pocket queen's hand, where, you know, you're looking to check it down more often than go for thin value, right? right? It's it's the same type of philosophy, whether you're defending the big blind or whether you're you're... you're deciding whether to like see bet you know a, right. a, a hand in position or whatever you're you're just much more incentivized to just take lower variant spots keep the pots lower don't, just don't you just don't need to put that money in right? right so even if it might be minus ev just in terms of chips it's not going to be minus ev in terms of your icm right in terms of your tournament winnings. exactly so yeah exactly all in all unless you guys have any other thoughts on satellites i thought the book was great i'd recommend it um Again, it's not like the elite crusher stuff, but it's it's going to it made, it made me better at satellites. And just having this discussion, for example, has made us better at satellites. And hopefully, you at home too. Definitely, yeah, I'll definitely be picking up the book. Uh, thanks for putting this this together, Niall. Uh, great, great little overview. And yeah, it's definitely want uh, made me want to read it. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot more stuff in there that will make us think. Can we get a link to the book in the show notes? I'll like get an Amazon link. I'll get an Amazon link put in there. Yeah, you can. Amazon have a thing where you can read the first 30 pages or so 
and then you can see if you like it. Awesome. Cool. All right, guys. So I think that's going to be it for our tournaments. Thanks again, Niall, for for putting together that uh that little uh mm. seminar for us. Yeah, very excited to fire up some satellites today. Oh, yeah. Being Sunday, yeah. the grind day. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take it easy because I'm ho- hopefully going to be playing this Irish qualifier thing at 9 p.m. and went on till about half two in the morning last time oh, before I unceremoniously went out in 40th place. <laughs> but whatever. Uh, okay, guys. So I think that's going to be it for this week. Uh, yeah, hour and ten minutes, hour hour in or so. Yeah. So I think we're gonna we're gonna lock it up here. We're not gonna do a hand of the week this week. We already talked about uh, that Ace Nine hand a little bit. Yep. And uh, we were, we were discussing this. We're not sure if we're gonna do hand of the week every week going forward. If you guys have opinions on this, please let us know uh, on Twitter or or you know wherever you guys chat to us at Pocket Cast. Uh, at Pocket Chases Cast on Twitter. Thank you very much, TJ. But uh, let us know if you like it or not. We kind of we're we're not sure how much value people are getting out of doing the segment every week. So so sure. let us know if you have an opinion. Or if you have an interesting hand to send in that you genuinely want an opinion on, far away. Absolutely, yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. We're that, happy to do it. That's a great idea. We will talk about your hands and tell everyone how amazing a poker you are. Exactly. Exactly. Only only positive feedback. No criticism. <laughs> okay, guys, that's gonna be us for the week. So thanks for listening. Bye. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Alright guys, so for the after show, Pocket Jace's After Dark segment this week, we're just going back to the grind, we're doing some trivia, I love my trivia, learnedleague.com, one of my favourite websites on the internet, doles out uh, a daily dose of trivia, I've been doing pretty well this season in my head-to-head matchups, uh, I was in second place in the division, but I had a couple couple of losses in a row there, so I think I'm down to like 6th or 7th now or something like that, but I'll give you guys a selection of questions from the last couple of days and see, guys how, see how you guys do, That's so I think good. we'll do... We'll do 12 questions, uh, and so you guys will get six each. Sounds all right, good. so let's start with DJ, current events. All right, all right. In 2021, two competing election technology companies have filed suit against New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani and others related to their promotion of theories around election fraud. Name either company. Uh, I don't really know um what sounds like a tech company microsoft um, there you go correct <laughs> it's done, it's done. uh do you know this uh, one though oh that that's that that's one that's one down that's one down yeah. um shorten the list a little bit um do i get a pass if he doesn't go... get this yeah you'll get a pass yeah. nice all right all right okay more pressure no worries uh <laughs> I'm. Go- I I have AstraZeneca knocking about my head, but that's a fucking vaccine. It's close. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go with IBM. IBM is incorrect, unfortunately. No, it, it's kind of it's kind of it's been in the news, but you kind of specifically have to have heard the names. I think. Niall, have you got a guess? One of them, Cambridge Analytica. They're not. That's a God good guess. That is a good guess. No, the answers are Smartmatic and Dominion. Cambridge Analytica is the one, the ones that rigged the Trump, Trump election and Brexit, right? Brexit, yeah. Those guys, yeah. <laughs> Pretty all much. The, all the face, Facebook marketing lads, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. That's it. Cool. All right. Question two for Niall. Uh, 
American history, give the last name of either of the public figures prominent during the 1980s who had nicknames that referenced the synthetic fluoropolymer polytetrafluoroethylene. So the first step is knowing what that's commonly called. Which I can give you if you want. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, give, give it to me if you want. It's a, it's a Teflon. Teflon. So that's what that's... Lonsdale? No, unfortunately not. Okay. DJ, have you got a guess? Public figures, how had nicknames to do with Teflon? Um, Teflon Steve. Unfortunately, no. The answers are Ronald Reagan was known as the Teflon president. Uh, oh. I think because of the failed assassination attempt bounced off him. Gotcha. And uh, John Gotti, the mob boss, was known as the Teflon Don, of course. Oh, fuck. Right. Misunderstood. The <coughs> fair, fair, fair. All right, DJ. I, I thought Teflon Steve was a good show. It was pretty good. Pretty good. Teflon Don, Teflon Steve, you know, it's pretty close. Uh, question three, pop music. A leading role in the most profitable mo movie musical ever at the time, and the release of her provocative album, Totally Hot, both in 1978, announced a shift in the career of what artist whose early U.S. success was in country music, including a Grammy for Best Country Vocal, and somewhat controversially, the CMA's Female Vocalist of the Year? Uh, is this Olivia Newton-John? It is, correct. Nice. Yeah. Grease, of course, being the, uh, the best musical or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Question four, literature, Nile. The 1930 a mystery novel, The Door, by Mary Roberts Reinhardt, was one of the first instances of a murder committed by what now cliched perpetrator? Hmm. The butler. It is the butler. Cool. Correct. The butler did it. Complete yeah. guess. Uh, my, nice. my answer is white male. <laughs> <laughs> the famous white male serial killer. All right, uh, DJ. Language. Identify the system for visual communication whose name comes from the Greek words for signal and bearer, and fittingly so. Repeat the question, sorry. Identify the system for visual communication whose name comes from the Greek for signal and bearer, and fittingly so. Sign language? It is not sign language. On the right track, though. I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, I, I know when I hear it, I'm going to kick myself. Yeah. Is it telemonics or something? Well, it's kind of, you're kind of on the right track. No, it's a semaphore. See, it's semaphore, the flags. Flag yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got that. Uh, question six. Business and economics for Niall. This is, I think this is a tough one. It's, it's very American. Okay. CMG is, in a particular and specific context, an abbreviation for an entity that shares what name with a smoke-dried, ripe capsicum annum? That's, a, that's some Latin for you there. Capsicum annum. CM, repeat the question for me, Kieran. Sorry, this is weird. Uh, CMG 
is, in a particular and specific context, an abbreviation for an entity that shares what name with a smoke-dried, ripe capsicum anum? It's pretty tough to get this one. I didn't get this one. Date? No, the answer is uh, chipotle. Okay. So it's uh, it's yeah. a, a pepper, is a, is a capsicum anum, and then I guess that, C- that... CMG must be the, the abbreviation for the stock of the company or something. It's a ridiculous question. That, that's cool. I didn't want to answer that question anymore. Oh, oh sorry, DJ. DJ didn't get a pass. Sorry. sorry. You didn't know it. You didn't know it. I have a degree in business. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question one uh, on this is now the Friday's questions sure. for DJ. Classical music. A pair, right. a pair of shell-shaped objects carved from boxwood, walnut, or other wood with the hollowed sides facing each other and connected by a cord comprises what musical instrument associated with Spanish folk dance? Oh. Click, 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 click. Uh, uh, what do you call them? I can, I can picture them. Yeah. I can picture I can picture the ladies with them. They're clicking them. Yeah. They're, they're like a wee percussive instrument. Um, they're called like uh, castanets or something. Castanets. Oh, got that. Well done, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Well yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Well uh, question two for Niall. World history. Though he adopted various pseudonyms during his lifetime, including Walter and Rudy, the revolutionary no- born in ni- 1892 with the name Joseph Broz in what at the time was Austria-Hungary, was best known by what other name? Um, Adolf Hitler. It was not Adolf Hitler, no. no. He was, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a good, good guess, though. Uh, um, is, th- is this uh, Stalin? It is not Stalin, no. Another good guess. No, the answer is uh, Tito, former uh, leader of the, the Yugoslav Republic. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, question three for DJ. Games and sport. Jacques Plant, who was born in Quebec in 1929, is widely regarded as the individual who first popularized what now commonplace sporting and to a lesser degree cinematic accoutrement. So you got a couple a couple of gets there for that one. Um, so Jacques, Jacques be... Plant, born in Quebec. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I knew what the word accoutrement meant, then maybe this would be <laughs> it's easier. It's like ex- accessory, basically, yeah. Clothing accessory. accessory. Yeah. Uh, a fleece. It's not a fleece. Niall, do you know this one? It's a strange question, but you Press. might be kicking yourself when you get it. It's popcorn? It is not. It is, uh, the answer is the hockey mask. Hockey goalie mask. So he was the first oh, hockey player okay. to wear one and also cinematic. Uh, oh, that's a curveball. The cinematic thing is a curveball. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it kind of makes it harder almost. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 Alright, All right. question four. Lifestyle for Niall. A book from 2013 by design expert Jude Stewart is subtitled An Exceedingly Surprising Book About Colour. What is this book's main title, which is the name of a made-up person also associated tangentially with the pattern that appears on the LGBT pride flag? Note, full name with middle initial required. Absolutely no idea. Um, no idea. No, none. DJ? Uh, 
I would try and come up with a joke answer here, but I don't want to risk uh, bordering on the offensive. Let's <laughs> just so, get uh, fucking I'll pass. <laughs> Yeah. The answer is uh, the metal person Roy G. Biv, of course. Oh, right. Gotcha. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> it's, it's Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Ah, okay. Right, got you. The rainbow flag. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, question five. Philip, for... Uh, who is it now? It's uh, me. It's DJ. A stru- uh, film. A structural parallel to Robert Louis Stevenson's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde can be found in what 1963 comedy film as well as its 1996 remake? Uh, the Nutty Professor. Correct, it is the Nutty Professor. Yeah, <laughs> straight in there. All right, Niall, for the game, question six. Well, I don't know. I haven't been keeping no, score, DJ three one up. So for, oh, is it? for okay. the pride? Well, for, for the pride. Question six, Matts. The binary number one 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 zero 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 one, which equals the hexadecimal number three F one. Okay. When converted to Roman numerals, spells what English word? It is one of the very few common words which are valid Roman numbers. Are you any good at your your binary to decimal nope. conversion? No, nope. I'm I'm decent at Roman numerals and words. There but you are. I'm no yeah. good at I'm no good at binary or decimals. You, you might be able to guess it then. You might be able to get it with a punt. Uh, Hexadecimals, Niall. Come on. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. Is it the word us? It is not the word us. Okay. US. No. DJ, do you have a guess? Um, is it the word uh, so is it the word lol? It is not the word lol, although that is a good guess okay. as well. No, the, well, I'll give you the, the number that uh, it translates to is 1009. So does that does that help either you get it? Uh, so what's that? MC. C, uh, MC? It is, starts with no. M. M is 1000. Um, Ma- it's a max? Max? Very close. It's mix. M-I-X. Mix? Okay, mix. okay. Yeah. Right, okay. You guys don't know your Final Fantasies, obviously. <laughs> it's it's Rocky Six, Adrian's Revenge. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, that was a pretty tough quiz question. Sorry, I already put you on the spot yep. for that one. But uh, absolutely... decent attempts, decent attempts. <laughs> that was embarrassing. <laughs> very difficult questions and, and very American centric, which is one thing I don't like about sure. that website. But still, Thanks, I man. recommend learnedly.com for all yes, your thank you. needs. No worries. See you later, guys. See you next Niall, week. Niall, you owe me 10 boosties, by the way. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah, that was, that was the, the bet, I think. Yeah, that was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bye, guys. See you later, guys.